When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From pitch side to print to the press box above Providence Park. It's Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian and Richard Farley from the Portland Timbers and Thorns. This is Soccer Made in Portland. On the scene, all the time. Welcome, everyone, to Soccer Made in Portland. Uh, I'm here, like, freezing right now. I think this is getting back to that time of year where I just get colder than everyone else around me. I have, like, two jackets, like a raincoat on right now. I don't know. What happened to summer, Richard? I'm, like, really disappointed right now. Hi, Jamie Goldberg. It's nice to be doing the show with you. I know. I'm just thinking all about the weather right now. You're the California showing through a little bit right now. Uh, You know what? I'm actually really jazzed to be here with you today. One... Because I'm looking forward to doing the podcast again. I'm looking forward to doing a better version of the podcast (laughs) uh, this week and improving on the past. But I'm also jazzed because we had an awesome interview today and we're going to be able to talk about uh, a really good Timbers performance. Yeah. Yeah. We got to talk about the Thorns semifinal. We got to talk to Megan Klingenberg coming up in a little bit. And yeah, six point weekend, nine point weekend. We're not really going to get to T2, but... I know. Six point weekend in the teams that we're about to talk about. So a lot more positivity happening right now. Yeah, no, T2 won for nothing, but they won against a team that is doing their best impression of 2017 yeah. T2. So congratulations to T2. You <laughs> made it a nine-point weekend. Let's start with talking about the Timbers. The Timbers played Saturday at Providence Park, a game they were expected to not only win but perform well. They won, and they performed well. Jamie predicted this one would be 3-1 to one in favor of the Timbers. She was really close. 2 to nothing was the result. Jamie, I'm giving out points this week. You you have a very confident look on your face right now. <laughs> you are borderline smug right now, and you deserve to be because the score wasn't exact. You didn't get the right number of goals for either a team or the entire game, but you got the difference right. I think you got the spirit of the game right. Maybe you didn't have as much faith in the defense as you could have, so we won't go overboard here, but I'm going to give you 21.6 points. All right. I'll take that. Mm-hmm. Me, I say Polo scores with a shot beyond 12 yards from the box. We talked about it last week. I was going for a huge number here. There was one point that he loaded up and had a shot blocked, uh, but obviously having a shot blocked is nothing close to actually scoring a goal. Let's give Richard zero here, and let's move on, and let's talk about the big news from this game. Jamie, it clearly was Sebastian Blanco having a man of the match <laughs> performance, right? That was the thing everybody's talking about right yeah, now, right? Yeah, and lost player of the week performance, actually. Yes. So some people are talking about it. Yes, but, but uh... it's it says something about how the season has gone, that not only was that not the biggest news of the night, but it, it probably shouldn't be because what Giovanni Savarese did in his selection at forward and how that forward delivered really augments almost every meaningful conversation we've had about <laughs> the team this year. So what happened? 
Yeah, uh, Jeremy Abobasi, after uh, I think eight minutes off the bench in the first 26 games of the season, finally gets a start. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only a start over Darren Espria, which we've been, we, we know how I feel about that since we've been talking about it for a few weeks. Hey, I, but, I actually don't feel that different um, from you. But uh, over also Samuel Armenteros, who was on the bench. So mm-hmm. Abobasi is in the starting lineup, he scores. I don't think we'll get too much into it, but, you know, maybe even two goals if you, you think, depending on, he had a goal called offside that was pretty close. So, yeah. Um, I mean, we can get into it. It's just ultimately, like, some people, you, other people felt he was onside. Other people felt he was off, like the AR. It was close. Yeah. yeah. But ultimately, like, close calls, unfortunately, in this game go both ways. But I think, yeah, he has a really good performance overall. I, I mean, he, he was dangerous in the attack. He gets the first goal of the game uh, in his first um, start of the year. Uh, so I think overall, a really exciting performance from Bobasi and something we've been waiting to see, uh, see him out there for, for a while now. The other way you can look at it, it's his second start of the year because he started the Timbers' first Open Cup game against San Jose. And what did he do in that game? He produced another goal. Yeah. So three appearances this year for the first team, two goals. Part of what's so interesting about this is this is clearly a different level of production than we're seeing from him for T2. But that's been part of the argument the whole time is that, well, why isn't Abobasi producing for T2? Does it even matter? Let's see him play for T1. And we got to see him play for T1. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think Savaresi has said all year that you the players have to step up for T2 when they have those opportunities and that he sees them day to day. And based on that, he has to make his decisions. So there, again, is a lot we're not seeing behind the scenes that leads to maybe Abobasi not getting an opportunity until now. Uh, I think Sarvesi also said he wants to put players, young players, in opportunities to succeed. And obviously against Colorado at home, one of the weaker teams the Timbers are going to play, this was an opportunity if he was going to give a young player a shot that you'd hope would be a good chance to succeed rather than maybe throw him on the road against FC Dallas or something like that, um, or even back on against New England on the road at a tough field to play. So I, I think I can understand Sarvesi's reasons for throwing him into this game. I'm still skeptical as to why we waited until now to see this, just given Espria sort of since Audi leaving, moving into that number two uh, forward role and just not being capable in that time of producing goals or, or really looking all that dangerous and attack, maybe offering other things. As Savaresti said, the Timbers knew what they were going to get from Espria, but I think Abobasi really added some different dimension to the attack that the Timbers have been looking for as they've been struggling in the last month or so. And, um, it's exciting to see. I guess it's obviously against Colorado. I I sort of doubt that we'll see a Bobasi, you know, suddenly start over Sammy Armenteros moving forward. But now this is another option off the bench and somebody that we has shown that at least against Colorado, um, they can score and create problems. So when we're talking about the Timbers attack, adding someone else to that mix uh, who could be a potential goal scorer, I think is a big deal. I feel like you talk like about seven or eight different issues there. Probably. I don't, I don't know. I just have so much about well, but it's, it's indicative of <laughs> what we were talking about before that, about how this is a big story because it really reframes so many different conversations. Conversations around Jeremy Abobasi himself, about the forward depth chart, about not only what Gio Savarese was deciding, but how he was communicating those decisions. And... I think those are all incredibly interesting. Even what to read from the performance, because it was obviously a good one. But we should know that we need a, a bigger sample size yeah, on absolutely. these things. But don't take that away from Jeremy Abobasi. He got his opportunity. He stepped up. That's an unquestioned positive. I think that does inform 
one thing that you hinted at, how likely are we to see him take more time from Samuel Armenteros? Armenteros was really good when he came into the game um, this weekend. And I think it's a level of play that maybe we hadn't been seeing all the time from Samuel Armenteros. Maybe that's one of the factors, in addition to the ones that you were talking about, it being at home, it being against Colorado, that contributed to this. I'm very interested to see. Um, you know, Armenteros, a couple of days last week, he wasn't with the team. He had gone back home a little bit. Maybe that influenced the decision. Maybe it was a reward. Hey, Jeremy, you've been here all week. But even in that, and now I feel like I'm talking like way too long about this. But even in that, what I think what's interesting is Jeremy Abobasi ascending the depth chart says something about Dionis Bria. It says something about Lucas Milano. It says something about Thomas Konechny. Because all of those players had their chance to make it so Jabo continues to not play. And it didn't happen. So, you know, we've talked about it all year. You alluded to it, the whole Dion Espria thing. Why does he keep playing? Why does he keep playing? What does Giovanni Savarese see in him? And he, Giovanni Savarese tries to explain that. But clearly on some level, Giovanni Savarese was saying the same things we were because Jeremy Obobese is getting time now. Yeah, um, and I think, you know, you taught, said that at the beginning. I sort of alluded to David's question, which is, will Obobese be playing more? And on top of that, did we overestimate Armenteros, or, or is he still the striker we thought he was? Mm-hmm. I think Armenteros is a very good striker, and obviously I think you see it with a lot of forwards, they're streaky, and he hasn't necessarily been in a hot streak recently. I absolutely expect that Armenteros is going to remain the number one forward on this team. Now, Obviously, if Abobasi continues getting minutes and is just scoring at the rate he has scored when he's had opportunities at the first team level, that could change. But I think right now what Abobasi did was put himself in a position where he could be the first guy off the bench at the forward position. Interesting. Um, I think Milano is still a question mark for me. Um, he obviously is still adjusting the team, still coming in, and is someone they brought in for the transfer window to play a role um, in the attack and have some confidence that he's going to be able to play one. But if Abobasi can get some more opportunities, can maybe get rewarded for this performance by getting into a game off the bench and maybe providing another goal, we're going to see this depth chart change really quickly. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think most likely what we're going to see, and, and you know, with this three games and eight day stretch coming up, I think it's another good opportunity for Abobasi to potentially maybe even get another start um, yeah. because of that situation. I still think we're going to see Armenteros as the number one, but I think Abobasi just earned himself more minutes. I hope Armenteo starts against Houston just because the nature of their center backs, Felipe Senderos and Leonardo, uh, Senderos and Leonardo, I think that Armenteros with his movement and the spaces where he can be dangerous is probably a little better matchup for that. But we've already seen one forward competition play out under Giovanni Savarese, and I think that should inform how we're seeing this one evolve to the extent that we can consider it a forward competition. At some point, Armenteros just outplayed Fernando Adi. And at some point, if Jeremy Obobese keeps playing, he's going to continue getting time. There really hasn't been a point where somebody was playing well and then we just say, I don't understand why. I mean, we've understood, we've asked why. Why isn't this person at least getting a chance? But when Zarek Valentin has gotten a chance, he kept playing. When Andy Polo, when Flores, when all these players got, got a chance, they kept playing. When Lawrence Alum, somebody that... Even I, as of a couple of weeks ago, was going like, why is this guy playing so much? I think Lawrence has had a few really good games in a row now, and now I don't question it anymore. I think we can say once you're playing and you play well, you're either going to keep your time or you're going to get more time. Yeah. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what we see this weekend. Um, I think there was other 
aspects of the game that I, I think stood out. Um, what one do you thing, want to talk about? Tell me. One thing I wanted to talk about was the back line again. Um, you have picked out this back line very early, yes. so I think you deserve am, some plaudits for this. I Yeah, I feel very happy about this back line. Same back line we saw against Toronto. Uh, so second time that this back line's played. Clean sheets in both games. Um, and, and you think you had the stat, and maybe you can relay the exact... Uh, we're going to trust me with numbers <laughs> maybe not but Liam Ridgewell again um, mm-hmm. in the no- games he's played this year the amount of clean sheets that they've been able to get the score lines around games that he's in mm-hmm. uh, uh, Liam Ridgewell has started nine games this year and I think most of us remember the first two yeah. two goals allowed in Los Angeles four goals allowed at Red Bull Arena since then in his seven starts the Timbers have five clean sheets and they have never given up more than one goal in a game they have allowed two goals in seven games .28 Two eight or two nines points game goals per game. See, look, we've I'm already screwing <laughs> yeah, this up. Yeah, but you on spot. Yeah, but two, two goals in the last seven games when Ridgewell is playing. The caveats there are that he's playing at home, and they're generally putting him in situations where he's going to succeed. One question I have is, does he play on Saturday in Houston? I I don't know, particularly, and we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here. But the attackers that Houston plays, they're quick, they're aggressive, they're physical, they're going to get up on Ridgey. I don't know. But either way, I don't think there's any denying at this point that this team is better when Ridgewell is starting. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that when you look at this back line right now, it's I think it's going to be hard to change this back line. I think most coaches are going to want consistency in their back four going into the final um, games of the season. And the experience on this back line, and I, I think what we were talking about before, I mean, Zarek Valentin right now, is not someone that's going to be easy to take off. And I, I think, obviously, you have the competition with Pal coming back. Yeah. I, I don't... I mean, it's tough. I don't know how you take Valentin off. He's played every game this year, and what he's been able to contribute, both from leadership, both from his consistency on the field, I don't know how you take him off right now. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to Marco Farfan about this last week because he's the one person that is really hurting here because I think we can imagine scenarios where Powell and Viafania and Valentin all get playing time. But it's really hard to imagine a scenario where yeah. Marco gets back into the top three. And he understands that. He realizes where he is in his career. But it really does speak to the level at which those three are right now. Because honestly, I think you can make a case for any of the three of those players to be either the best fullback for the team right now or when they're at their best to be the best option for the team. So I don't know. I, I kind of, at this point of the season, I think we've seen Giovanni Savarese do so many different things. Even within games, he's changed things up where... They'll sit back in the first half, and then all of a sudden they're pressing really high in the second half. That I'm not saying he always makes the right choice, but tell me if I'm being too biased here. It always seems to be a very considered choice, at least. So I think if he did do something where he ended up playing Zarek Valentino left back and Powell at right back, I think even if it didn't work, there'd be at least a good reason for it. Yeah, I think Savaresi has had his reasons um, every single time he's played someone. And we've seen a lot of lineup changes uh, throughout the year. And it seems to be because of the opponent, because of rewarding a player, because of how they do in practice. I think there's been plenty of times, as we just talked about, like with Espria at the forward position, where we've questioned those decisions. And, yeah. and I think he's gotten that wrong um, with the bringing, yeah. giving Espria as many opportunities as he did. I, I just, it's hard yeah. for me to see any other way to look at that, except he got that wrong. But... When it comes to the the back four right now and, and finally bringing Ridgel back in and having the center backs there and, and what the outside backs are doing, I, I mean, they're, he's going to make a considered decision. We know that Savaresi is going to be careful about any decision he makes, and it, it, there's some really good options right now um, defensively. I, I mean, my confidence about the defense, I, I think 
end of July, August, there was a lot of worry about the back four. And now I think that's one of the Timbers' biggest strengths going into the final seven games of the year. I completely agree with you. Where they are in the standings, another three-point performance. Their point-per-game ratio is fourth in the Western Conference, even though they're in fifth place. Kind of scary that Seattle is right next in this table because <laughs> Seattle's the hottest team in the league. I have trouble getting too worried about Seattle because the Timbers have outplayed them three times this year. So even though they've won all these games in a row, you still remember the actual games where they played the Timbers. And the Timbers, even during that loss, didn't have a lot of trouble with Seattle. I worry about Kansas City. I worry about L.A. I think those are the two best teams in the whole league right now. But more than anything, the Timbers have four games on the road left, three games at home. But all four of those road games, you would look at and say, it's winnable. Houston, Minnesota, RSL, Vancouver. Although... Last game of the year in Vancouver, you should ever take that for granted, right? <laughs> so how do you feel about where the Timbers are right now, and how do you feel about their ability to climb the table between now and hopefully the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I think they're in a pretty good spot in terms of the games they have left. They do have this one more compacted schedule. Uh, that's not going to be easy. Um, but then they only have three games in October. They're going to get a week off. Um, I they Like you said, the teams that they play, it's overall a fairly favorable schedule for them. I'm still, I still will have to see. I mean, you look at Colorado and they were a weak team. I don't want to take this game and say oh this is God. what, this is what the rest of the season is going to look at. Like, Watching them live was eye-opening. Yeah. <laughs> like the first half, and we saw, if you were tracking it, Colorado had a big advantage in possession. But then you're watching them, and you're trying to make out their patterns and their progression, and you're like, well, there's no progression. They're just kind of kicking it around in the middle of the field, and people are running into spaces that the Timbers are giving them. They're not doing anything. And then almost every time the Timbers have the ball, I felt like they were dangerous from the first moments of the game where they're getting (laughs) open shots at the the 18 to eventually we saw the goal. So Colorado is obviously at a different point in their process than even Houston is. Now, Houston's right next to them in the standings. Yeah, but Colorado's on a different level. One, Yeah, exactly. You look at the goal difference, Houston's outscoring their opponents yeah. this year. So why they're this low in the standings, who knows? But then you go look at that attack. Albert Ellis, Romel Kyoto, Mauro Minota, somebody like Tomas Martinez coming off the bench. I mean, that's a scary team. Yeah. And I think that the Timbers should expect of themselves three points, but they could very well lose this game on Saturday. Yeah, and, and so I think that we need to see more. We need to see a bigger sample size right now because taking too much away from this Colorado game would be unfair given how bad Colorado is. I Like I said, I think the defense is really promising. And I, I think when you look back to 2015, the defense, the attack obviously did some good things. The defense won the championship. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, without that back line, they, I don't think, would have been an MLS Cup. So that's a, a very promising to me to have a defense that, that is going to be able to – that has the experience and is going to be good going into the final stretch of the year. I still have questions about the attack. I, I don't think yeah. I can look at Colorado and say all those problems are solved because it's Colorado's. And I so, think everybody should have questions about the attack yeah. too. Uh, we are talking about the forwards. We don't even know uh, what the forward situation is going to look like going forward. Diego Valeri leads the team in both goals and assists, but I actually think the team's best player right now is Sebastian Blanco. Yep. He's certainly proved that over the last week, almost every dangerous chance, except for David Guzman taking matters into his own <laughs> hands against Michael Bradley. It's come from Sebastian Blanco. I think a little bit of that is because Diego Valeri is still such a presence that he is dragging people away from Blanco, and Blanco is able to use those spaces. But eventually teams are going to adjust, and maybe that's when Valeri can start taking things over again. Either way, to your point, I think there are legitimate questions because even if both of them start clicking, who's the next person from midfield that's going to contribute an attack? We see Diego Chara now getting the opportunity yeah. to do that. But right now, 
can the Timbers be an MLS Cup threat relying almost solely on three people in their attack? They can, but it seems like things would have to start breaking their way. Yeah, yeah. So I we're going to have to see how that goes. Um, I, I think, I mean, I think this weekend and this stretch is going to be huge. I, I mean, yeah. when you only have seven games left, and a, obviously three games in eight days is a tight stretch, but all these games are going to be important, uh, starting with Houston at Saturday um, on the road at 5.30 p.m., I mean, this is going to be a big stretch for the Timbers. And I think this is the beginning of it. We have to, the biggest thing for me is the selection because it's not just three games in eight days, which by this point, Timbers fans should be used to these kind of challenges. It's road, home, road. Yeah. So the last time they had three in a week, it was home, home, road. So you're t- doing one flight to New England, but even then the turnaround was pretty severe. You're going central time zone, Pacific time zone, central time zone again. You're flying twice. They're not easy teams. People are going to look at Minnesota United at the end of that stretch and think that the Timbers should win. And I think they should expect to win themselves. But they can't just prepare as if it's a normal week. They've got to be making decisions now with the idea that we're going to be restricted comes Wednesday and we're going to be restricted even more come that following Saturday. So we're talking about Armenteros. Does he start that game or do you save him for the next two games? Or what have they been told about Armenteros' ability to do that turnaround? Because he didn't play at all in New England. Yeah, I don't know if, um, I mean, I don't think Giovanni Savaresi is going to, you know, give us much of a hint on what his plans are in terms of rotation. He hasn't yet. But it's an interesting setup because, like we were talking about last time they had a compacted window, the Toronto game made a lot of sense at home. You have to get the win to put the best foot forward there. This time, you probably want to put your best foot forward to some degree at home against Columbus, but it's an Eastern Conference opponent, and you have these two other road games against weaker Western Conference opponents. So I'm not exact. I I find it a lot more difficult to predict how they are going to manage this stretch than I felt about the last stretch. I completely agree with you, but I also think maybe that's why we're not going to see Liam Ridgewell this weekend. I don't know. Maybe he will play, but with that home game in the middle, and you know that Ridgewell is not somebody that's probably going to be able to turn around in four days anyway with travel in between, I would bet that he plays next Wednesday and then they play it by ear about whether to take him to Minnesota. But either way, there are going to have to be changes. And quite frankly, this is when some of the depth that the team has been consciously playing throughout the year, or maybe even not consciously playing, where they've had to rotate players in based on form. This is where it really starts to pay off. I mean, we saw it in New England. Nobody liked that starting 11. I made excuses for that starting 11 just basically based on the rationale that I thought that they had. But at least those players, they were ready to perform in the roles that they were assigned to. I think the qualm is, why are you choosing these roles? There's almost almost every player on this Timbers roster, all the way down to the... We've seen Guzman getting time lately. Andres Flores, we talked about three deep at fullback. They're three deep at center back. Bill Tuiloma continues to get time. I, it feels like there are 19 or 20 people on this roster that can contribute because every game day, there's always one or two people you're surprised didn't make the 18. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think, does, do we want to talk more about Houston or we kind of covered it and want to move on to I don't know. I'd rather, I'd rather talk to, uh, about questions because I'm more interested in what people think yeah. than, than Houston right now. So let me fire the first one at, two, at you. Uh, it's a listener question, obviously. We don't take non-listener questions because we don't ask them. Uh, Tyler and Jeffrey asks, what was your reaction to Paulson's announcement pushing for natural grass and the implications of it? Any more details that you can offer? Uh, for me, on the details front, I think we kind of know the timeline. He said the timeline. I don't know if that timeline within a couple years is going to play out, but I think it's fair to say at this point this is a this is a top-level ambition of this club's operations at this point. 
Yeah, um, Mayor Paulson said at, uh, at the Stand Together banquet, plenty of uh, people that were there reported on Twitter um, that he was hoping, hoping, um, I think is the key word, because I've seen that misreported uh, some places. He was hopeful that the Timbers would have natural grass here by 2020. Right. I think that the club, and I haven't had a chance to talk to Mayor Paulson about this, so I don't really have much more to add. I, I Hopefully, maybe he'll be willing to talk about this um, in more depth in the future at some point. But I think one of the big challenges, we, it's not uh, a secret, it is PSU football. And PSU football is not playing as many games here this year. I mean, that has changed drastically, and, and I don't know if that makes it now easier uh, for this natural gr- grass topic to maybe come up. Um, it sounds like it, regardless of what happened after the expansion's finished anyways, um, not until 2020. But uh, I think that, I mean, if they can... I mean, Providence Park is owned by the city. I, I mean, if PSU football is playing here, that is problematic. I mean, you look at Houston last year and how bad their field was when the Timbers went out there for playoffs. Natural grass isn't always better, especially when you have football teams competing on your field. But if they can get to a point where PSU isn't playing here anymore and that's no longer an obstacle, I think that grass ultimately is what this team's going to want. I mean, we saw some of the games this year where Zarek Valentina, I think, was very vocal about this, where the heat on the turf was so problematic in a midday game that they were pouring water on their feet. It felt like they were actually burning. That first Seattle game sucked. Like the quality of the game was terrible. Yeah, absolutely. And so if we can get grass here, if if the Timbers can get grass here, um, we as the collective fans who get to watch this, uh, I would like to see grass at Providence Park personally. Um, It's... I think it would add just to the quality and make it so So some of these games where the heat is a massive factor um, aren't as problematic. And some of these players who refuse to play on turf, we saw Zlatan this year playing very minimally when he came up here, we won't have to really worry about players trying to skip these games either. And you'll get the best of other competition, which I guess could go both ways. But I, I would like the prospect of MLS teams bringing their best players here, the prospect of not dealing with uh, players having their feet getting burned during midday game, mid uh, day games. And I think also the prospect of potentially getting national team games here. If not, if grass came in. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think more than anything for a lot of the reasons that you decided it's a good PR move. I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit more later in the show about my feelings on turf, but uh, there's just a lot of people both inside and outside the organization that would prefer grass. And it, I think for a lot of reasons, maybe it doesn't have necessarily to do with the playing quality of a field like this. There's just always going to be a little bit of cloud around teams who don't play on natural grass. And that's just basically a cultural preference that gets projected onto those teams. So I don't think the Timbers have the power to change that cultural preference. So it would be better for them, I think, if they just accepted that and that grass is an expectation of this world we're in. Andy asks, what are Rory Miller's prospects of returning to the first team? Yeah, I think that we haven't really um, talked about it just because he's been so separate from the first team, but he picked up another injury after he was sort of on his way back. So he hasn't really been available uh, recently, and and so obviously I think that changes his timeline in terms of getting back to the first team. He was doing really well. Uh, I and You can add to this, but I, I doubt at this point we see him this year just because we're getting pretty late in the year. He's dealt with the second injury. I don't think there's any point of rushing him. Um, But, I mean, he was doing well to come back. I I think he would at least get a shot, um, potentially. I I have to think of exactly what his contract looks like. If he's out of contract at the end of the year, that could obviously factor into something. But I I, I don't necessarily see, after coming back and getting to this point, that he's going to want to retire or anything at this point. And, And so... 
we'll see. May, maybe next year, um, but that determines with contracts and stuff like that. And I, I think at this point, it, it's unlikely we see him this year. Just speaking of what, about what I saw from Roy at T2, where he did get a good run of games, he was clearly good enough to play at that level. You would expect that from somebody with his resume. He still didn't seem 100%. There still seemed times where he tried to explode, and you can see the little hitch that is still there. Uh, so I wonder how much that played into his re-injury as he's tried to push himself past that level. And unfortunately, it's probably a little bit too far to speculate where he's going to be going forward, even the next few months. But I think it's best for all of us to plan to not see Rory Miller on the field again this year. And hopefully we will in the future, though. Let's go ahead and transition now before talking to our guest. Did we tell people who the guest was? I did. I threw it out at the beginning. Okay. Megan Klingberg. Oh, I know best her. Best guest. Yeah, I know her. Best guest ever. Uh, it's a little bit of a longer interview, so we're going to do the hot take interlude now. I'm going to go first this time. I've never gone first, All but because right. my hot take that I just changed in our notes ties into what we were just talking about. And this goes back to my experience when 10, 12 years ago, I was coming up here. I was planning to make a move. And where I come from in Southern California, there are no turf fields. Just none. So, in fact, the closest one to play on it was in Tijuana at the time. <laughs> Chortles were playing on it in it was so bad they had to spray paint it green before games. So I come up here and I would go and play pickup games and be on these turf fields and I just started going, this isn't so bad. I thought that I thought that turf was supposed to be the devil. And then after a while, I actually started liking playing on turf more. Just the consistency of the role that you get on turf. The ability to play your passes with a little bit more confidence that they're going to go where they're going. The ability for the game to be a game where people are staying on their feet more because nobody wants to slide. And I, I Sliding is one of the, slide tackles are one of the things I hate most about soccer. Um, in, in addition to heads colliding. Just stuff like that. The fact that it, it ends up being a more on the ground game that people are having a little bit more confidence and the fact that you go to a park and play almost every surface is going to be worse or more or less consistent than a turf field i actually think turf fields are cool i like playing on them and providence park clearly has an excellent turf field so my hot take is that while turf isn't always better in the general conversation we're talking about most scenarios that we would be playing soccer on or even professionals are playing soccer on most scenarios are not the Seattle game, and that's a national television issue. They could schedule later in the day. I just think that a good surf, tur- a good turf surface, is better than grass. I disagree that a good turf surface is better than grass. Like inherently, I think yes. And as I allude to, when you have the chewed up grass in, in Houston or, or something like that, when you have a chewed up field that they've been played on with football or something. Of course, a good turf field is going to be better than, than a bad grass. But I, I think when you have a good grass field versus a turf field, I mean, you, I'm not taking this from the perspective of someone who's out there playing. But I, from what you hear from the players, I, I think they prefer it. I, I mean, from what you've seen. You do see, you saw Henri when he came here, he played on this field. Zlatan did give a little run out here um, on turf. Players are more willing to play on Portland turf because it's better than, say, New England. Yeah. Look, um, this is my hot take, not yours. I'm allowed to have know, my hot take. But I'm just giving you my opinion. I Well, I'm, I'm under no impression that my hot take is something that people agree with, hence, yeah. hence it being a hot but take. But anyways, I, I, I think... I will say this, though, because as I've alluded to on the show before, I had a pretty major knee surgery last year. And when I run on the field of Providence Park or out at the training center, which is a different level of turf... I do feel like a little looseness in my knee that I don't when I'm on grass. Yeah. And so I understand Zlatan's fear. But I also know that that's a fear that I have to get over, and it's part of me adjusting to my new body. But I completely understand why Zlatan 
doesn't feel like he should have to deal with that fear. But he, he said too, you know, in the playoffs, I'm going to go do it, but he feels it's a risk. I 100% understand that when you're coming back from surgery and he had his surgery at a similar time that I did last year, it just doesn't feel right. And you don't want anything not feeling yeah. right with it. Well, my hot take uh, also kind of relates back to what we were talking about before. But when I'm the so lineups, excited about this hot take, by the way. <laughs> when the lineups came out uh, at, leading into the Colorado game, I got a few responses on Twitter, um, definitely more than I should have, I think, um, at saying, this point at least. why is Liam Ridgewell playing? He needs to retire. Like, don't he shouldn't play. Why is Sovereci playing? <laughs> just this hate for Liam Ridgewell. And that needs to stop. That just absolutely needs to stop. And we talked about the statistics, and it's very clear. I, I just don't think any logical person uh, can deny that Liam Ridgewell is the Timbers' best defender when he is playing his best and he is bought in. And that's just a fact. And he's not going to be here next year. I highly doubt that they're going to resign him once he's out of contract. He doesn't. He is too injury-prone. He's not playing enough games. It's not worth uh, the amount of money they're paying him. But he's here this year. And he's the Timbers' best defender, so the Timbers should use him. And I get, I, I get to some degree the the sort of hatred from fans, from from a, at least a group of fans about William Ridgewell. I mean, I think this goes dates back to the DUI situation. I think there's mm. some. Uh, somewhat no, began it, at I that think point. It goes back to the boat situation. Well, I was going to say there's a DUI situation, and then alongside that, I, I I don't think Liam Ridgewell helps himself with what he tweets at all, with his amount of time on the boat and, and kind of asking about movies and sometimes making the mistake of doing that when the Timbers are when it's game day and maybe he's not in that game or maybe it's just six hours before a game and he's tweeting about something else. But I think he's because of that developed a reputation that he was somewhat avoidable if he had, you know, changed his social media habits um, as being lazy and not bought in. And then I think from the DUI situation, I, he lost a lot of fans with that as well. Just um, sort of, sort of because he fought it because he didn't believe that the whole situation. I mean, I don't want to get down the DUI lane too much, but um, because he didn't come out and immediately apologize because he was actually fighting the situation. I, I think there mm-hmm. was fans that sort of reacted to that as well. At this point, I think people need to put this hatred aside. Liam Ridgewell clearly shows up to practice every day and is always there and giving his all in training. And when he's bought in and doing his best, he's the best Timbers defender. And I don't think it's fair to look at Twitter or think these other thoughts about him and think he's lazy or not bought in. We've seen in the last few games, he's right now he's bought in and he's ready to play. And he's because of him and the other defenders. I mean, the Timbers have been really good defensively so I, I really think that hate uh, yeah. for Liam Ridgewell needs to stop I don't think it's a hot take to say it needs to stop but I do think it's a hot take to throw that into the collective Timbers culture let me ask you this because the Haley Rasso hot take I had last week I thought long and hard before even saying that aloud because I think you always should think about things before you kind of push back against the fans opinions because I don't think their opinions are ill-founded. In fact, you went into a lot of reasons why this is not an ill-founded opinion. It's just that it's time has come and gone. Did you think about that before, like, your hot take this week? The fact that this is something that I don't want to say of all RCTID culture is against Liam Ridgewell, but it obviously is significant enough for you to both say that and for me to kind of go, yeah, like, I see that too. Yeah, I, I mean, I I guess that didn't make me not want to say it. I, I think... I think it's fair. I, I believe that like there's opinions of players and, and there is a sense when players are more bought in than other players. And 
Um, there's certain players like Diego Valeri who everyone hopes is going to have a statue outside this park someday. And I, I don't think Liam Ridgewell is ever going to be at that level sort of because his off-field persona... That's, that's the coldest take ever right there. <laughs> I mean, but, no, but I mean, like, his off-field persona is never going to be anywhere near what Diego Valeri or something is doing off the field. Yeah. Um, but he is on this team, and Timbers have him under contract, and I'm just looking at the, the facts. He's a roster player that's very good, and yeah. when he's at his best, he should be in. So I think it, it's not like he's done something that... It, he's done something terrible that yeah. the Timbers are ignoring or something. He tweets stuff out at bad times. He had an incident a few years ago that was not ideal um, situation that we still don't know the exact circumstances around him when it comes to his case, which is why I don't want to get too far into that. But ultimately, he's a good player on the roster, and there's no reason that the Timbers shouldn't be playing him when he's good. And I, I do think fans need to recognize that side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because the Timbers are going to be better in the next seven games because Liam Ridgewell is going to be involved in them. Wait, you know he's going to be involved in all not of them? All, not all seven, but oh, okay. he's going to be involved in the games. No, in but the overall games, I believe that we will see some involvement from Liam Ridgewell. No, but this is the reason I want to ask about this is that I think this is going to be a continued theme for this show as you and I continue to go forward with this. And I don't want to get too meta here, but there is, particularly with my position in the club, there's always going to be this this divide that's based on kind of knowledge. And I know how important Liam is to the team. I know how his teammates regard him. I know how the coaches regard him. And so maybe this isn't the best example. When I, when you see people like saying things like, Oh, he should never start for us again. I know part of that is based on his history off the field, but I also am kind of reticent to not reticent. I'm confused as to what point of the conversation to enter into on that kind of stuff. So hopefully this is something that, not only on issues like this, but like the Espria one is probably better where I try to give the coach's point of view on that because I have a little bit more access to that. But I'm closer to you on that. Like, look, at some point, there needs to be a solution for Espria. I, I think a lot of people approach that as kind of like, Espria oh, shouldn't be playing. And on the last show, I was kind of like, no, somebody needs to step up. And J-Bo did. So that's, I think that's kind of a theme of this show. The first six months I've doing the show is like where to enter that conversation to where, and you and I even experienced this personally this weekend. I don't like just dismiss people's reactions. Yeah. And so hopefully, you know, the people who have given us feedback on that, you continue to give us feedback because it's a learning, uh, it's a, it's a learning experience. But also I think there are issues like the one we're talking about here where it's very clear that it is something that needs to be, I don't think needs to be said, but it's something that could be said, but it still goes against the fan culture right now. Speaking of fan culture, one of the favorites in that culture around the city, somebody that has <laughs> this been is here. such a golf transition. Such a, this is a great segue. What are you talking about? <laughs> Speaking of fan culture, one of the people that have become integral, to, one of the people that have become integral to that po- culture in the city with the Thorns, with PTFC as a bigger club, was with us earlier today here at Providence Park. Megan Klingenberg and her team are preparing for a huge game on Saturday against the Seattle Reign. The third year in a row, they have hosted a home playoff game in the NWSL, and she talked to myself and Jamie Goldberg earlier on Tuesday. Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, obviously a massive game this weekend for you guys coming up. Why well, do you think we'll get to the soccer stuff? Um, I wanted to start with something from this weekend. Uh, I was at the Stand Together Banquet. Richard was there for at least part of it as far as I can tell. I, I never saw him. I think he was trying to avoid me. But I was there for like 65, <laughs> maybe even 66 minutes of the four-hour banquet. 
But I was you, there for all four hours. Just yeah, wanted you to know. <laughs> no, I, you looked awesome, though. I told you oh, that. Thank but, you. Yeah, that, but yeah I that's mean, what I'm I think that about. maybe you have a second career in being like a comedian or MC or something based on a. Oh, so you thought I was okay? I, <laughs> I was thought pretty, you were great. I was stressing. So yeah, thanks. no, I thought you were awesome. Gave out some team awards to your teammates. Yes, uh, there were yes. some funny ones up there. I, Anything else stand out to you? You said you had to cut it for time. What, what else? Uh, what other team awards would you like to give? Yeah, I feel like in in those type of situations, a lot of times being short and sweet is way better than going over your time. People appreciate that a lot. So I was trying not to do the Mark Parsons and stay up there forever. <laughs> uh, but honestly, yeah, if I had more time, I had a few other awards that I was like kind of tossing around, and I wanted. To, you know, one of them would probably be most likely to turn any shirt into a crop top, <laughs> and that would be Kelly Hubley, 100%. Like, I just scrolled through her Instagram, mm-hmm. and literally every other picture she's in a crop top. It's actually <laughs> one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Um, I, honestly, I if I had more time, I would have just loved to make fun of Mark Parsons, because it's just, <laughs> it's too good and it's too easy, uh, but I also know that, like, you know, ragging on your coach in front of everybody is... Um, you have to like tread the line carefully. So I kind of just stayed away from that, kept like really, I would say it was like, I did not go for any barbed humor. (laughs) It was like very like kind, being kind to my teammates. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when you have all those people there and you're given the microphone, that's a powerful position to be in. Absolutely. you, You know how you talk to your teammates every day. And you have to make that decision. How much of this can come to the mm-hmm. field, to the stage? Mm-hmm. And the answer is like 5%. Honestly, if I was to if I was to do this next year, I'd want to know at the beginning of the season so I could hold it over my teammates' heads for the <laughs> entire year so they know that if they mess with me, they're getting called out in public. But that brings up a good question. Who should do it next year and who won't be as evil about that responsibility <laughs> as you? I mean, I think we could give it to Midge, but I think she might turn evil during that time. Mm, she's she way would. too creative. <laughs> yeah, she's way too creative. Yeah, I don't know. I think Midge would do a great job. I actually think the most evil person would be Sink. Like, oh, yeah, it would that, be so funny. She would just go for the jugular every time. But you couldn't invite 500 people to that. Oh, definitely not. But it would be hilarious. I would pay to see that. Um, I don't know. I think there's a bunch of people on our team that are super hilarious around each other and in front of, uh, you know, in private. But I have no idea how people would do, like, on a stage. That's a completely different setting. Hmm. I'm trying to think about it. Who's a showman? Yeah, or who's going to develop into a showman? Like, what what is Caitlin Ford going to be like in three years when she gets her like her Portland roots laid down a little bit, a little bit more social confidence in these yeah. environs? Hmm, it's interesting. We got to yeah. keep an eye oh, on it's, it. Oh, you know but what? Do you like how I, at the end of the show I basically like called myself out? Mm-hmm. Like I, I pulled myself this. out for last for next year. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well, I think that if. If fans had it, every year it'd be you and Zarek doing it. But also, like, Haley could be really good in two or three years, too. Yeah. So you never really know. But That's I, true. But this leads into the one question I wanted to ask you, because the first time I ever talked to you, you were coming right out of UNC, it's WPS, you're still midfielder Megan at that mm-hmm. point. And in addition to the evolution on the field that everybody's been able to see, the one thing that I found interesting, and we got to see it on Sunday, is the evolution of your personal style. Because particularly this year with the photographs that were taken at the ring ceremony, what you did for Wild Fang, and then Sunday, I've been amazed by your personal style. So, oh, thank you. you. So talk to me about how that has evolved. Because when you're 21, 22 years old coming out of school and your life's been only soccer for yeah. 10 years, 
you don't think of yourself in those terms. But obviously yeah. now, that's a big part of you. <laughs> that's true. I think uh, when I was growing up, all I wore was just sweatpants and, and sweatshirts. <laughs> and even when I went to college, and I mean, honestly, I love North Carolina, but I can't really say that, that the people that go there have the style that I really love. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like cowboy boots and sundresses with like croakies and button-ups and like those little shorty shorts that, that frat boys wear. So, um, Did you see this on Kelly's timeline too? What do you mean? <laughs> the, the, the style that you're talking about, I can see it oh. on Kelly's, on Kelly's timeline. <laughs> yeah, I can see Kelly rocking some of that. But th- that's just, that's never been me. I've always felt a bit edgier, but I've never really been able to, like, I didn't know anybody yeah. in high school, and I didn't know anybody in college that I was like, oh, I really love that style. And I feel like as I've grown up and as I've gotten older, I've found more style icons, I guess mm-hmm. you could say, and people that, like, look and think and feel about clothes the way that I do and so that's really cool like I found clothes stores that actually cater to me like Wild Fang I yeah. did that collaboration with them because one I love their stuff and two they're doing cool things with the thorns so I it felt like a perfect fit yeah so to me it was just about like wow finally I found some things that it like really like I can feel I can get into I can get behind and and it feels really me and that's really cool and like don't get me wrong I love wearing dresses too still but they have to be edgier like I went to the glamour gala right after 2015 because we are glamour women of the year or something (laughs) like that we won a lot of awards that year it was ridiculous Very cool, but ridiculous. And they brought us all to New York, and they did our hair, our makeup. They let us pick whatever we wanted to wear. And one of the dresses was, like, a tuxedo dress. And it was white, and it had, uh, like, black lapel, and it, like, kind of came down here. That sounds awesome. It was so cool. (laughs) And so, to me, it has to be a bit edgy. Like, I can't just – I don't want to wear a sundress. I don't want to do the six. Neither do I. I want to be – yeah, I don't blame you. (laughs) But, you know, I just want to feel more me. And if I can find something like that, then I'm totally into it. Your hair, too, is a big part of it because every time in these pictures I'm talking about, your hair is just on point. Thank you. But also, like I said, the first time that I met you, your hair was down to, like, your shoulders. I know. Before. So I think it was in Sweden when you came back and you were rocking the short hair. Yeah. I mean, how big a deal is that to you? Because it seems like, for me, when you find something that works, you feel like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And that clearly works for you. Oh, thank you. No, I love love having a pixie. Like, it's so much fun. I feel like it is so much more freeing than having long hair. You can do a lot of different things. You can be edgier. You can kind of um, fit it to whatever like thing you're doing you can be like you can do like something really formal or you can do something totally chill and I really like that but I'm actually on like a hair journey right now <laughs> I'm like I'm growing it out a bit oh I'm so excited about this go <laughs> on go on I'm on a hair journey so I'm in the process of growing it out a bit which my mom is so happy about by the way. <laughs> and, and uh I am just like not too long but just like right below the ears and I want to be able to like slick it back and kind of wear it down um and maybe get like a half up half down pony in there so I'm I'm on a a bit of hair journey and then I'm like okay well that sounds really fun and cool you've been working really long time for this but (laughs) what's next you know Mm -hmm. I feel like I really want to do like G.I. Jane buzzed cut that could be really cool sorry mom um but i don't know i'm 
am I like being a little chicken about it? I'm, I gotta like, Oof. I feel like I could rock it, but I just, I don't know. Head shape becomes really important. As, I know. As, as I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, you do know. Yeah. Well, that's the reason I go with this so often uh-huh. because for all the reasons that you talk about, for people that don't know, I basically cut all my hair off. Uh-huh. For people who have never experienced that, your life is super easier. But if your head shape isn't good, yeah. it just looks like the worst decision of your life. I know. So I'm like, I think I have an okay head shape, though. I have never noticed that my head shape's wild. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard to tell beforehand, though, because if less, like, I'm looking at, I'm looking at your hair right now, but having never seen you with even like, anything close, it's impossible to imagine. <laughs> like, imagine, okay, maybe her head's pointy, or maybe it has, like, two points. I don't know. It could be perfect, too. But I hope it's perfect. We'll find out, I guess. Oh, you gotta have, she has to have baby pictures somewhere. I do, but the problem was that I had a super cone head, and apparently <laughs> it went back. That's what yeah, because you so, don't have a super cone head. Yeah, now. so we don't know. I don't really know. I mm-hmm. could still be a little cone headed. Jamie, what do you think? Up, up, down vote. Where should she go with this? I, uh, I mean, she's she's the edgy one. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> I keep my I keep my hair long. I don't know. I don't know what this cutting your hair off is thing. So I'd yeah, be but terrified. But Jamie's all about the trim. But yeah, Jamie's trim. Jamie's hair looks good though. Yeah, yeah, no, it Jamie tr- it trims her hair great. two or three times she, a year. She's, trim, she's, she's a trim kind yeah. of gal. So. Yeah, well, that's how, totally cool. How would Jamie look if she was rocking what you're rocking right now? It would be different. It would be, <laughs> but you could still make it work. I I can see you going with short hair and making it work. Yeah, and you cannot. <laughs> yeah, no. She's not into it. Uh, Wait, what question should we ask Jamie? Oh yeah, you're on the spot. (laughs) Maybe at the end. I I feel like we need to like Mark did ask a few soccer questions. So go ahead. I'm gonna throw this out there. I Um, do play that. Yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. Seen you once in a while. You know, get on the field with the soccer ball. Run around. Give it a few kicks. I think it's really (laughs) exciting right now that you guys are have this opportunity in in front of you that you obviously have to seize, but you are have this home playoff game that you earned, and then if you win, you could host a championship here, which has never happened before. Uh, how much, uh, you don't need much motivation to get up for playoffs, but how much extra motivation is to know that, that you have that in front of you? Yeah, when well, we talked about this leading up to the Seattle game last weekend. That was really important for us to be able to get the win because we wanted to stay home. We didn't want to travel. It's annoying to travel wherever you have to go. You know, you have to pack your bag. You're, you're, laying, you're sleeping in beds that you don't want to be sleeping in. The pills suck. The food isn't what you want to be eating. You're not around your friends. You're not around your family. That's hard. So we don't want to be doing that. Um, so it was a huge priority for us to play in front of our home crowd on our turf that we practice on every day. And so winning that game was a huge, huge uh, win for us in, in across all facets. And we know that being here gives us a huge advantage because of all those things that I just talked about. So I don't think necessarily we need any more motivation. Our team is really awesome about playing under pressure. I think that we thrive in those type of environments because we love those type of environments. We like it when there's games on the line, when there's points on the line, when there's playoffs and stars and whatever else on the line. So uh, I I love when our team gets in these types of situations because I know that we play some of our best soccer and um, we take it incredibly seriously, but we have a lot of fun doing it too. And that's what makes our team really good in these types of situations. And so I always get really excited to play because I know that everybody's going to bring it. And when everybody on our team brings it, holy cow, we are really hard to play against. Mm -hmm. Am I allowed to say that? Oh. Yes. Can you you're, beep that? You're, you're allowed, allowed to say it. <laughs> We're allowed to beep it, though. <laughs> Not later, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to just leave it in, actually. <laughs> um, 
With like you mentioned, sort of like you guys get up for these situations. It, is do you think it's just because of all the veteran experience you have on this team and all all these players that have played just in these huge games in NWSL playoffs, but also even on the international stage? Is that what one of the things that makes you guys so good at, in these moments at the end of the season and leading into playoffs? Being experienced and having those types of players certainly helps. When you have players like Sinky and Tobin and uh, me and Anna and all these players that have played in major tournaments, it really helps to be able to have those players on the field because they're able to kind of know when to push the game, when to push the push the rhythm, when when to push the speed, when to uh, get on somebody, when to kind of take it back and tell everybody, hey, it's okay, we're good, we're good, we're good. So it's nice to have that type of experience because when you've been through it before, you can understand the rhythm of the game and what the team needs and how we can get the team to respond in a good way. So I think it's invaluable that we have those types of players um, on the field and on our bench and in and around the team all the times. Like even, you know, Kath Reynolds and has been through how many leagues and countless uh, playoff opportunities. So even having her just around the team to kind of bounce ideas off of or just be calm because she's such a calm personality is is, an incredible experience that a lot of other teams don't get. North Carolina, national team here. You've been with Tobin the whole way. Mm-hmm. You guys are pretty similar in age, oh, too. Oh, we've been playing, like, since 13, like, on the regional team. That's together. what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Like, how, <laughs> how long? Is it more than three teams? I mean, Obviously, it's more than three teams. I've seen Tobin grow into those big, beautiful teeth. Like, since, <laughs> <laughs> like, since she was 13 and, and I was, like, the most annoying little kid on the field. She probably still am. But uh, ever since we were tiny, we've been playing together. Mm-hmm. What's the thing about her that has changed the most during that time? And what's the thing about you that has changed the most during that time? Oh, geez, that's hard. The thing that's changed the most about Tobin, I think Tobin is arguably the same the same person, just more mature, more experienced. Um, she's always been pretty chill and, and pretty spiritual and, you know, kind of like existential thinking about a lot of things. Uh, she's always been like that, and maybe less so when she was younger because she was just younger. Yeah, but right. but definitely she's grown into that more and more. And me. Well, wait. Let's, let me most? rephrase that. What would Tobin say is the thing that has changed about you most? Oh, jeez. You have to push yourself in Tobin's mind. How does she look at the world? Maybe she's not even ever thought about this, too. That's probably the answer. Yeah, yeah. She probably would say I'm the exact same person. Yeah. No. Yeah, I think she she would say that I'm very similar, but I've probably, like, calmed down a bit. Um, Mm. I used to be bouncing off the walls all the time. (laughs) And I can definitely still do that. But I think that, you know, that kind of throws some people off. (laughs) So I've learned to... Uh, you know, manage myself a bit more. Uh, that's too bad. Uh, but one, that's too bad. no, but like bouncing off the walls, that sounds fun and sounds like part of your personality. Yeah, that, definitely. Yeah. I still do that. I mean, you can tell that I still do that. Yeah, well, I guess that's why I'm saying it's too bad because it'd be cool if everybody like saw that and how fun it is and True. how sometimes it's intense and sometimes it's, it can be Right, let me live, world. Right, exactly. <laughs> My one serious question here mm-hmm. is that we're coming off a game where Seattle lost three to one. Mm -hmm. They're obviously a very good team. How much of the real Seattle, not only in terms of personnel, but in terms of Vlad Konanovsky's game plan, do you think you saw on Friday? Oh, I think they went for it. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that they wanted to get a home game and that they wanted to play on their field because we 
they have a lot of success mm -hmm. at home and it's hard to play mm -hmm. and we love to play so it would have been a huge advantage for them to to win that game i think you saw that when they scored that first goal how excited they were <laughs> i mean they always want to come here and win in, in portland mm -hmm. that's a huge that's that's huge for them but i also know that this game's more important and they're going to bring it even more because i think you know when you win, when you don't win it's it's almost sometimes better uh, for your team because you have to go back and you have to reevaluate and you have to learn new things. You have to try new things. You have to have a different game plan because clearly that one didn't work that time. So we have to be we have to be doing that as well because we had a great game plan and our team played arguably some of the best soccer that we've played all year. But they're going to have new personnel. They're going to be coming in and it's a knockout round game. They're going to be fired up because they lost last year or <laughs> sorry, last game and. We just have to be prepared for that. With you, uh, um, with you guys going into this last year, the mantra sort of was ice bears and mm -hmm. Nadine Onger giving you guys uh, the um, pump up talks before the games. I saw that you were giving the speech before last week's game. Is there going to be a different mantra this year, or, or maybe what? Why is ice bears so important, you guys? Well, last year ice bears kind of was so organic. <laughs> um, Nadine talked about a different animal every every game, and then she kind of just landed on ice bears, and we thought it was hilarious because we couldn't tell if she was saying, like... Yeah, I forgot. what There was, like, a list of things that you couldn't make out through her German that everybody was speculating Oh, yeah, about. we have no idea what she's saying half the time. It's <laughs> I amazing. I said it's German. She was speaking in English yeah. at the time, yeah. but it felt, uh, from whatever so she said, it felt like, like German. We're like... Ice bear, what is this? You know, we uh, ice cold beers. Like we had no <laughs> idea what she was talking about. So eventually, we figured out, uh, you know, German directly translates to ice bear instead of polar bear. So that just became the thing last year, and we re we we ran with it, and it it worked for us. This year, it's the same thing. We're still using ice bears because that that speaks to us. But at the same time, there's like little tweaks that she does every time. It's not. Uh, last year was like a very direct, like the same theme in every talk. But this time she's kind of mixing it up a bit. With Ice Bears, we're always the Portland Ice Bears. But we have to do these certain things very important each game. Well, thank you again to Megan Klingenberg. I mean, I mean, she just basically previewed everything for us. And also her style. I mean, that was definitely part of our preview segment, too. So we don't have to, we can knock that part out. I mean, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think we might have given away a few secrets to Vlako Anonofsky there. She didn't yeah. think it out. This is going to be a key part of Seattle's preparation now to know about Megan Klingenberg's stylistic past and she talked about her <laughs> hair journey. Yeah, no, I know. That's that's definitely what Seattle's I, thinking I about think, going this season. Yeah, summer. I think you're going to have to change your prediction on here because <laughs> Seattle has way more information than they had before now thanks to Soccer Made in Portland. <laughs> So we should talk about the Seattle game a little yeah, bit. Yeah, let's talk about the game, the Seattle game that's already happened. <laughs> yeah, yes. There's many Seattle games, all Seattle to talk about. Yeah, So, but third straight year, Thorns have a home playoff game. Second time in three years, they're having to do the turnaround where they're facing their impending opponent in the last game of the season. Last time it didn't work out so well, Western New York lost in the last game of the season, came back a week later, beat the Thorns in extra time in 2016. 16. Chronology is confusing. Um <laughs> What do we think about this one? I mean, I don't, I don't have very much to add on this. We saw these teams play on Friday. To the extent that it's going to be different, I don't know how it's going to be different because I'm not in Vladko Adonofsky's mind. I'll just say that if the Thorns play as well on Friday, on Saturday, they're going to win. Yeah, uh, I, I think I would agree with that. Let's start with the Friday game a little bit, though, um, going to the result, obviously, and our predictions. Um, so I can get maybe some more points. Yeah, I saw a tweet about this that somebody's saying that you should get 
like a lot of points for this. And I, I agree, like you're you're gonna get a lot of points, but I don't know that this prediction was like <laughs> so much more better than like for example, your Timbers Colorado prediction. So you predicted a two to one victory for the Thorns. The Thorns end up winning three to one. I'm think I'm Am I remembering the logic here that one of the goals shouldn't have been a goal or something like that? Or they were saying like Tobin's goal is one you shouldn't have been able to predict or something like that. I think they were just saying Tobin's so good that who would have predicted that? Oh, that's a good tweet. <laughs> okay. Um, I think we would have predicted it because Tobin Heath does stuff like that. But either way, I'm going to give you 23.1 points for this. Right. Uh, very close, but not identical to the points you get. I had a side bet of Caitlin Ford's first Thorns goal. <laughs> So I'm going to give myself zero here, even though my instinct is to be like, she almost scored a couple times, but I think we've just established a rule, and it's boring. It's bad podcast. It's not good radio. That if I don't get it, I get a zero. If I get it, then it's like, holy crap, it came through. I don't think this would have been a holy crap one. This would have been like 34 points, 36 <laughs> points. Uh, if the polo one would have come through, I I would have wanted triple digits for that. <laughs> Let's go into the game. Fourth minute, goal, Jessica Fishlock. Great goal. She's used to scoring great goals. Uh, the Thorns are down one goal to the best defense in the league, and they responded admirably. I'll throw this out as a premise to you, Jamie. Last 75 minutes of that game we saw on Friday, was that the best Thorns performance that we've seen all year? I, I feel like I, I'm going to be missing a game every time I'm thinking because I, I feel I have this bias of like thinking about recent games. But yeah, I, I can't think of a time the Thorns... That was a dominant the Utah performance. game. They beat Utah 4 to nothing. But the, the, the thing is, this was against Seattle. And yeah. yes, it was Seattle minus Megan Rapinoe and, and minus Ali Long, but still a really good yeah. Seattle team that's on the verge of playoffs that is in the mindset of that game was important to them. They wanted a home playoff game. They certainly weren't completely conceding it, even if they maybe weren't pushing a few players that were dealing with injuries to coming back in that game. Um, I think that was a really good performance from the Thorns. And it just sort of reminds me of this team and how they somehow always get to this point at this at this point in the year. I mean, you could see how much they wanted it and wanted to be at their best just with the way sort of that Lindsay uh, Haran scores her goal, Tobin Heath scores her goal. Those were great goals. And you could just like see the emotion um, and, and how much they wanted to get that win in the home semifinal playoff game there. Um, this team looked really ready to be in the position that they were in. Kelly asks a question on a scale of 1 to 10. How great is Lindsay Horan? <laughs> I think we're going to need some more numbers here because 10 doesn't seem to quite describe her because we've been talking about her as if she's a 10 all season. And then in the most important game of the year where home field is on the line for the next week, she delivers two goals. To me, the coda I want to ask to this question is whether you feel like she sealed MVP with that performance on Friday. <laughs> I think that Lindsay Horan should win MVP. I am not convinced she's going to win MVP, and that's what because, unfortunately, uh, the people that vote often seem to have a bias towards uh, the Golden Boot winner, which, again, would be Sam Kerr. I really think with what Lindsay Aran has done on both sides of the ball this year, not just in the attack, but also just the dominance that she's had in the midfield and the way she's carried this team, and really, the, in terms of how valuable she has been to this Thorns team, she should win the NWS on MVP. I'm not convinced it's going to happen. Yeah, I think it's her, Sam Kerr, even though some people are going to make arguments for other people. For most of the year, I thought Crystal Dunn was the MVP. I think that she has fallen off is too strong, but not kept up with the pace that Horan and Kerr have kept. And then Megan Rapino, I just don't think she's played enough games. Yeah. She's basically played 60% or something. I think she has 15 starts. Yeah, which is not insignificant. In fact, I think you can make a case for A.D. French being the goalkeeper of the year, even though she's missed a lot of time. But the difference there is that there is no real standout goalkeeper. So... Yeah the lack of time that she missed ends up being a strike against her, but not defining. There are clearly two standout cases 
in the NWSL, in my mind, for MVP. And that is Lindsay Horan and Sam Kerr. And I should mention McCall Zerboni here, too. She deserves some mention. Uh, but, yeah, I think that it's very difficult to construct a vision of how soccer is played where Lindsay Horan and Sam Kerr's goal totals are so similar. I think Sam Kerr ended up with two more goals than Lindsay Horan this year. If I remember, Maybe three. Three, I think it was. I think she ended up with 16 and Lindsay ended up with... 13. Yes, they're within two or three goals. Again, numbers, not my strength. It's in, it's really hard to construct a vision of how soccer is played where somebody that has all the responsibilities that Lindsay Horan does does not transcend that goal difference with somebody whose primary responsibility is a goal scorer with everything that Horan does around the field. So I will have questions for people that do not vote her MVP. <laughs> Regardless of whether she wins it or not, she has been an MVP caliber player. Speaking of MVP caliber Tobin Heath she's not going to win MVP she has had a statistical year in my mind that rivals her year two years ago just two years ago all of her numbers were assists basically she had a goal and 11 assists I think I can't remember let's stop asking me to do numbers this year those numbers are pretty much split between goals and assists Uh, we heard it from Megan Klingenberg a little bit how good is Tobin Heath right now Maybe Lindsey Horan is the MVP, but maybe Tobin Heath is the best player in the league right now. Yeah, I mean, Tobin Heath is, um, I mean, it's so amazing to see because I, I we didn't really know when or if she was going to be back to this level. Um, it just took so long with the back injury, and then she finally kind of pushes herself to get onto the field last year during the playoff race, and she, you know, she's involved in the playoffs, but she wasn't Tobin Heath. I, I think the funniest thing I was thinking about this weekend is just that people were asking me last year, you know, should the Thorns hold on to Tobin Heath, even at the beginning of this year? Should Oof. the Thorns hold on to Tobin Heath? I and know, I was I'm always saying, yes. We got we to yes. get off Twitter. We got to get off Twitter. <laughs> this is the only place people say things like this. But I, I think that, like, it, it, she was go- out of the lineup for a very long time. And had this been MLS or something where she's really taking up a roster spot in the same way. Yeah, I think you had to um, even, like, go like in the NWSL, she's a free player. Yeah. So it's, I mean, her situation is different, but if you, I mean, if she'd been this situation in a league where you're, you don't have free players, I, I think it would have been a more legitimate question. She was out for a very ex- long time, most of last year, beginning of this year. And, and it just wasn't clear when she was going to be able to get back to her best. This is Tobin Heath at her best right now. And, and it's what it's happening at a time when the thorns are going into playoffs. I think she scored in four straight games to end the regular season. I believe a goal or an assist or both in the last six games. Lindsay Horan is going to be vital for the thorns in, in this playoff run. But, but Tobin Heath is a factor that they didn't have last year. And the way she's playing right now, that could be a huge difference for the thorns in the playoffs. I'm thinking back on Tobin's career, the Tobin Heath's career. I hate it when I call players by their first name only. I'm thinking back on Tobin Heath's career the same way I was thinking back on Megan Klingenberg's career when we were talking to her. And they came into their professional careers at similar times. They obviously had huge overlaps in North Carolina. And Tobin Heath has always been on the verge of this good, if not this good. I think the one thing that really stands out to me, having covered her for almost a decade now, is this is the first time that I think she has been truly comfortable with how good she is. I think she's always felt that she was this good or could be this good, but she wanted to be this good on her own terms. There were certain things that she felt most important about her game, about where she wanted to go. And now at this point in her career, I think that from my point of view, those desires coincide with the desires of the team, the desires of the soccer culture around her that see her as this remarkable talent and the desires of just putting pure numbers up on a day-to-day game-to-game basis being in an environment where 
she can be a defining player. And the difference between her being a defining player and not a defining player is going to be maybe the difference between winning a title and not. And I even think we're seeing it carry over to the national team too, where there will be times where because of injuries or other reasons, you're not exactly sure whether Tobin Heath's a starter. And maybe some people are unsure whether Tobin Heath's a starter for the national team now, but she should be. Like her and Megan Rapino should be the starters in the wide position. Either way, I think thinking back on the Tobin Heath that I knew when she was drafted into um, – into WPS that I knew during the times where there wasn't exactly a team where it was clear for her to play for the kind of comfort with herself in being a player that is recognized as being this good is probably at the highest point I can ever remember it. And I think I just want to, one other point I want to add to that. I mean, I think she's at a NWSL career high, at least in goal scored. I think this is the most goals she scored in a season for the Thorns. So I, few years ago we were talking about how good she is and she was just providing the assist now she for the thorns uh at least because i obviously she's created goals in, in other um in other situations but now she's in a point where she's creating a goal like she did in that game for herself she's making a steal and, and just creating a goal out of what yeah. seemed to be nothing herself and, and converting that I, I mean that adds a different dimension for her role in this team which I, I think is also really helpful heading in the playoffs. One other thing that we want to talk about here is something that the team has talked about, or specifically Mark Parsons, although Christine Sinclair talked about it today in her media availability, the idea that this team always peaks at the end of the season. And I mean, it, it's actually kind of a straightforward answer. If, if you plan to peak at the end of the year and you're willing to make the sacrifices in the short term, like not rush players back from injury in June and July because you think those games have a certain level of importance, not change formations for one game because you know that formation will be good in that 90 minutes, but maybe won't be the best for you down the road. It doesn't develop your style. We've seen a very clear plan from this team, not only this year, but in years past, although last year they had to make that formation change in the middle of the year that I think was a little bit more by necessity than plan. But this year, Mark Parsons has been talking about it since the beginning of the year that even the formation change they underwent this year, he wanted to go back to being a 4-2-3-1 team at some point. He wanted to make the sacrifices in player development that would lead them to this point. I think, really, you can look at other teams, I think the Seattle teams of the past, even the North Carolina teams in the last two years, and they approach it more, we just want to be our best every day. The Thorns want to be their best now, not every day. They want to be their best now. Yeah. Yeah, it's clear. It's five of six wins to close out 2016 and 2017 regular season. And this year, I think they won seven of the last nine. I mean, this team is it's plays its best soccer at the end of the year. And that makes them very, very dangerous when you put them in a playoff situation. Yep. And their last 10 games of each season, since Mark Parsons has been here, been here, they've won 23 of 30 games, which is a pretty high rate <laughs> in a sport where draws are allowed. So let's look forward to the next game that they're going to have to win. No draws allowed in this one. Thorns, Seattle, Saturday, Providence Park, noon kickoff time. Well, noon broadcast time because it's yeah. on lifetime. But noon is what you should have on your calendars. The big challenge here is playing Seattle two weeks in a row. What comes to your mind when you think about things that'll change between Friday and Saturday? Yeah, I, I think that I think that the Thorns really did, for the most part, put out their best uh, foot forward in the last game. And so, in a sense, I, I mean, they showed their hand at the same time. Like the Seattle knows how Portland plays, and I, I don't think that's necessarily a secret at this point in the season. Uh, teams know how their teams play, but the Thorns definitely, I think, looked more like they are going to look on Saturday in the regular season finale. I expect Megan Rapino to play in this game. I think that's the expectation that Mark Parsons indicated. I, I think Ali Long 
um, can come back into this game. Now, may, may, we don't know everything that's going on in, in the Seattle world, and maybe these injuries are worse than we think, but I think we're viewing it more as, yeah, they didn't want to push those players back. They were questionable for that game. They're probably going to be in the, the playoff game. And I think that, I mean, you add Megan Rapino to any team, and, and that changes a lot. And that leads us to a question that I think a lot of people are going to be asking based on the fact that coming back from Europe, Anderson Gorchevich was not able to play on Friday. Mitch Purse, I think, had a rocky start, but in the second half in particular played well, and then she created or was part of the creation for the first goal. What is the Thorns' best lineup? That's what Donna asks. Is it Mitch Purse or Anderson Gorchevich starting? Yeah, I think that we're going to see. I, I would expect to see personally the same lineup. I, I just think that when you have a dominant performance like that, you don't want to change much. And I, I think Mitch Purse has been very good. Um, I, I do think, obviously, that it is a question, and we'll see which way Mark Parsons goes. But I, I think when you have a performance like that, uh, you kind of reward the players that, that do well. And I, I think Purse did do really well, especially as the game went on. Mm-hmm. I mean, me personally, I would start Anastasia Gorchevich, but I also don't know half as much about soccer or 10th as much about soccer as Mark Parsons does. So I'm not even sure why I said that he started Mitch Purse on Friday. He could very well start her on Saturday. If he starts Anna, he's going to have really good reasons. I think the bigger lineup question is in the rain lineup. We've alluded to it a number of times in the show. Megan Rapinoe, didn't play on Friday. Likely to play on Saturday. Ali Long didn't play on Friday. Likely to play on Saturday. So Kelly asks, how did the Thorns shut down a full-strength rain team that is probably very unhappy about not hosting an NWSL semifinal? Yeah, it's going to be a different game, and this isn't going to be easy for the Thorns. And any team that adds Megan Rapino is going to be a lot better, as I've said, as we've said. Um, Obviously, the Thorns can't give Rapino a lot of space in, uh, space in good positions on the field. I mean, she'll take advantage of it if she has an, an opportunity to even get a half chance around the box. She's a very good player. That said, I think you look back to the game that the Thorns lost at Memorial Stadium earlier this year where they only lost one nothing on a Jody Taylor goal um, in, in the 89th minute. Uh, I think overall they did a pretty good job of shutting down the rain uh, during that game. And we're even able to create some chances um, to score as well on the road there. So I think you look at that game a little bit as a model and proof that the Thorns are capable, I think, of shutting down this rain attack and doing a pretty good job there. Um, it's going to be hard, but they think they've shown before that they can uh, make, it that, make that happen. Cannot say that any better. So we'll go on to some listener questions. Tyler asks a question that I think is actually... Uh, an interesting one because it shows a lot of the uncertainty that exists around the NWSL as to when players are and are not going to be available. Tyler asks, could the U.S. women's national team interfere with the Thorns playoff roster or anyone else's before the NWSL final? And the answer is no, but I think it's indicative of the fact that people who maybe don't live and die with women's soccer get genuinely confused when players get pulled away for what, from their point of view, doesn't seem like the most opportune of reasons. Yeah, and I think even people that follow women's soccer, some of the times we have talked, I I think, about the push and the pull of the women's national team and and the NWSL to some degree. I I mean, it was... where the window was but it was obviously not a great time to have the national team players go away right before the regular season finale uh, for friendlies even Tobin Heath was saying that they were thinking about this game the NWSL game with the actual meaning back here while they were with the national team Um, so yeah it it is tough that we're seeing these players called away uh, especially at big moments but that will not impact uh, this uh, playoff um, run for the Thorns or any NWSL team. Uh, the next window is going to be around the qualifiers in October. You say that, 
But it has already impacted yeah. one playoff run <laughs> for a team. Of course, not the potential for players to be called in, but the fact that they were called in last week. And one team, the favorite in the league, North Carolina Courage, who won their second straight NWSL Shield, is going to be missing one of their two or three most important players. While on national team duty, McCall Zerboni, former Thorns midfielder, uh, not only broke her elbow, but suffered some major damage to it that's going to definitely keep her out for at least this fortnight coming up, probably a good stretch into the future. Carrie, interesting name considering where the Courage play. Carrie says, what's your evaluation of the Courage without Zerboni? Yeah, uh, I, I definitely don't think that they're as good um, without Zerboni, but I, I think the Courage have a lot of talent, and they've shown that this year, and I don't think I, I don't think losing Zerboni is going to be the reason necessarily that this team can't make a run. I, I still expect, um, I still believe that the Courage will be favored to make it to, to the final, and we'll see what happens there, but I still think it's most likely we see them get through the semifinal and they still have plenty of good players. I I just think it makes them a little bit more vulnerable. I I mean, this team's been dominant this full year, but I think it makes them a little bit more vulnerable not having a Zerboni in there anymore. For me, I I agree with everything you say, and I think about the challenge that the Courage have ahead of them because I think a lot of people maybe following the season or people who are Thorns fans and, and saw how much trouble the Thorns had with North Carolina the one time that they were here. Definitely the best performance we saw in this field all year, Thorns included. The Courage were awesome in that 4-1 victory they had here. I think that they're going to think the gap between North Carolina and Chicago for Sunday semifinal, wherever it ends up being played because of the hurricane, I think they're going to think that gap is bigger than I think it is. Because when I go player for player, and I also see how Chicago has been playing, I see the success that Chicago has had against this North Carolina team over the last two years. I would give Chicago like a 44% chance of winning that game. Fully acknowledging that North Carolina is the favorite, but to me, Chicago, Portland, North Carolina, their talent levels, like there's almost nothing separating those teams. So if Chicago beats North Carolina on Sunday, I'm not going to be surprised. And I think a lot of that, that gap closing, has to do with the fact that North Carolina is going to be missing one of their two or three most important players in Zerboni. Now, the other semifinal, Jamie, prediction time, Saturday, Providence Park. Again, it's a 12 noon kickoff, not kickoff, 12 noon broadcast time. Your prediction? Yeah, I, I think the Thorns are going to find a way to win at home um, and, and get the first uh, NWSL championship game here at Providence Park. Do you have any recent in. evidence to back uh, up your claim on this one? <laughs> yes, just like last week, they're going to find another way to win. I think it's going to be a 3 2 victory for the Thorns this time around. And my side bet, I'm going to go for some points here. I'm going to predict a defender scores a goal, although it's not as out there as that might sound because we've seen this defender score goals in postseason games before. I'm going with Emily Sana to, again, break through, get on the score sheet, and be part of that victory that you're predicting that I am definitely not predicting because I don't make predictions. Speaking of not making predictions, I'm not going to predict the evening game either where the Portland Timbers are going to face the Houston Dynamo. The first time they're at BBVA Cup Stadium since last year, nil-nil draw in Houston, Diego Chara breaks his foot, everything goes to hell. Jamie, your prediction for this one? Yeah, uh, maybe I'm gonna I'm taking too much confidence away from a win against a very weak Colorado team, but we'll see. I, I think the Timbers are going to find a way to win at Houston, and it's going to be two to one. So my original side bet for this was based on the dynamic that we saw in the first game between Houston's attackers, Portland central defenders. We saw Elba Elith really exploit Julio Cascante, score a goal here, and I was going to predict that Elith scores again. Uh, I'm not exactly sure he's going to play, though. Not knowing a lot about Houston, I just know that he didn't start the last game. So I'm going to go with Mauro Manotas, who has been maybe not their best attacker this year, but their most consistent scoring threat, and I got him to score a goal. Jamie, 
tell me, fantasy-wise, is my team <laughs> in the top three this week? If you say no, I'm going to cut it from the edit. <laughs> I hope you don't do that. I'm going to have to listen back and make sure to put it back in if you try to do something like that. But no, uh, Beer City FC... Spring spring season doing really well. Obviously, they won. We'll figure out a prize or something when we when we get to the end of this for for the top uh, top teams for both seasons. But no, they are not in the top three for the fall right now. That's a Goldberg zero. But tell me who is <laughs> in the top three. Um, so tied for second place, it looks like we have Hebrew Steel uh, with six hundred twenty six points and Flicking Portland dot dot dot. I'm gonna have to get the end of that at some point uh, with also six hundred twenty six points. And Blood, Bath, and Beyond is still in first with 650 points. Amazing. And Your favorite word in the world <laughs> that has ever come up on this podcast, besides one that we had to edit out today. <laughs> Your favorite word, blood. Sure. Yeah. We, we cannot continue this one on. This, this joke is, this joke, I feel like, died. <laughs> Not a great one. It never, it never landed. <laughs> Anyways, on that note, uh, that's the end of the podcast. So we're Soccer Made in Portland. You can find us every week on iTunes and Stitcher. You can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. You can find us every week on Timbers.com, OregonLive.com, and Stumptown Footy. And until next week, take care. <laughs>